This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look back at Matilda to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, um, Sarah, you brought this one forward. Do you have a 60-second synopsis to tell our audience what this movie is all about? I never know, but I'll attempt it. Alrighty, I've got a timer ready. And in three, two, one, go. Matilda, a young girl born into a family of people who only care about getting rich and watching TV, grows into a girl who is extremely smart and learns she has telekinetic powers. She gets herself to finally go to school where she meets a, her, some new friends and a teacher she loves, but the principal is terrible. Using her telekinetic powers, she learns to get away from her family, the terrible principal who it turns out is the aunt of the teacher and makes a life for herself with the teacher as her new mother, and makes the school a better place, the end. I mean, yes. It was kind of out 20, of order. With 20 seconds remaining, yes, that is the plot of Matilda. I mean, it's based off a kid's book. It's not. Right. And, like, I think this is one of the best adaptations I've seen of a book to a movie. Because I went through the, the audiobook at work the other day, and it was amazing to me how many seeds are taken directly from the book and put on screen here. And I think it's easier to do that with a children's book, where it's very one note, there aren't too many side plots, because then the movie can really focus on that, and the movie can expand in certain sections, which this one does, which we can go into. I will say, like, nowadays it's harder, because for some reason movies feel the need to be so long. And so book adaptations, especially of ones that are this short, they add a bunch of nonsense, or they cut a bunch of nonsense in weird places. Where this one, I feel like it found its way to be the perfect length where it doesn't feel the need to add any unnecessary side characters or side bits that aren't there. It just tell, simply tells the story. Right. And I think we can chalk that up to uh, the... I don't know if this was Danny DeVito's first film, but I think he showed some real restraint here. Uh, like, threading the needle, uh, showing us exactly what the book was, expanding it in some sections, but always following the theme of the book and not trying to insert anything else. Danny DeVito is a real, like, I don't know, like... Man? Actor? Well, no, I was going to be like, triple, quadruple. Oh, he wears a lot of hats. He wears many, well, he wears some literal hats in this movie, but he wears many, many hats in this movie, and he does a marvelous job at all of them. All right. Uh, Before we go any further, I should say, let's go into long form. What did you notice as an adult that you may have missed as a child? Since we've already started this section. It's a delight. Well, I didn't know as a child that, um, obviously, like, well, I've seen this since I was a child. Um, There were some actors and stuff that I didn't 
that I know from things later that I didn't realize were in the movie and I didn't put together until. Are you talking about Paul Rubens as the FBI? Well, guy that is in one. Film? That is one of them. Paul Rubens was always this one that, for some reason, despite the fact that he looks exactly the same in and out of character, whenever he wasn't doing the Pee Wee Herman voice, suddenly you're like, oh, he's he's not Pee Wee Herman, even though he still looks exactly like Pee Wee Herman. Yes, this is what I this is what I love about Paul Rubens is he commits to every role. He loses himself in the roles that he is given. He is a wonderful character. But actor. it's so weird because it's like all he did was like his face looks exactly the same. There is nothing oh, yeah. different about his face. The minute you're like, oh, his voice is two octaves lower. It must be <laughs> a different person. Yeah, and, well, I think it. Uh, it shows how good of an actor he is because he doesn't change his face in any way. They don't use prosthetics, but he is a different person in this. We'll, we'll say it's that and not that just I was a really, really stupid child because I did watch Pee Wee Herman as a child. That's okay. I only knew Pee Wee Herman as... I, I never watched him. I knew him as a character. And I always confused uh, Gilbert Gottfried. When I saw Gilbert Gottfried, my mind went, oh my god, that's Pee Wee Herman. It's not. It is not. <laughs> I never did that. But I had seen the movie at the point where I had seen this movie. Um, no, but the, the one I'm talking about is um, Pam Ferris, who plays Trunchbull. I have oh, seen okay. in many things since then. Um, she was in Harry Potter as Aunt Marge. Who, oh, who's okay. the one who gets blown yes. up. But she's also been in things like Rosemary and Time, which was a TV show that I was a mystery TV show I liked. And she's also in was in Call the Midwife. Was that the 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 British like police procedural buddy cop thing? No. This one was uh, about Rosemary and Time? No, this one was about um, okay. two gardeners who solved crimes. Of, of course it was. That's why they were Rosemary and Time, they, they were gardeners. She, <laughs> how, many, how many crimes did they solve? How many crimes are happening in their garden? No, they, they, they didn't garden their own garden. They did, like, landscaping. Okay. They go to other people's gardens. <laughs> I, I suspect foul play in, on their part. In being a little bit better than things like Murder, She Wrote, sure. her character was a former police officer who was retired, and this was kind of like, um, with a... F- friend this was like her retirement side job <laughs> so at least she had some background knowledge as opposed to i'm a writer yeah i don't know this this comes up a lot with police procedural things is you keep having to make reasons why they encounter dead bodies and it makes sense more if they're involved in law enforcement yeah. than but if at they're least one this gardeners. one they went to other towns and weren't just like in this tiny new england town that probably has like ten thousand people Someone dies every single week, and we are slowly running out of people. Right. Or it's not like uh, the the murder rate of Santa Barbara, California, or San Francisco, California, for Monk. Uh, yeah, like... Uh, some of those were ridiculous. He goes to the beach one day, he puts a quarter in those weird binocular things, looks at a building, and witnesses a murder. At least a lot of people... It's a big city. A lot of people die. Anywho, we should get back to Matilda. But New England's that's what this podcast most of this, is about. Yes, Matilda. Anyway, but she's been in a lot of stuff I liked. I didn't realize, obviously, until I was much older that Rhea Perlman and Danny DeVito were married. They're great in this film. Are they still married? Because for a while they were separated, and that made me really I, I sad. I want them to be. 
Because, like, I love the um, the married? Wormwood family in this film. They are terrible to Matilda, for sure. But as a family, they hang out together all the time. The dad wants the son to be a part of his business. The mother and the father love each other. Like, this is a good family unit. Granted, they do crime, which is not great, but... As far as, like, um, having family cohesiveness, this family is great, except for how they treat Matilda. So, in good news... Yes. In March 2018, online sources reported that DeVito and Perlman have reconciled and were planning on renewing their wedding vows. Hooray! That makes me happy. That does make me happy, because... I mean, I'm not big on celebrity gossip, but there are celebrity couples that you're just kind of like, oh, I'd be sad if they stopped being together. I know. I was I was a little upset that Chris Pratt and Anna Faris broke up. Like oh, that. I lost, wait, I made you small. How did I make you small? I'm still here. I'm still the same size over here. Oh, no, what did I do? I made everything small. Everything's so small. Uh, Sarah has broken her computer. Oh, I think I fixed it. I don't know okay. what I did. I don't Is know everything what I did. big again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I somehow split it into two screens. So let's talk about what this film does well. I was talking about the, the Wormwood family. I think they are taken directly out of the book. Oh, yes. I think so, uh, the beginning of this film is just a character study on the Wormwood family. And that is incredibly entertaining to watch. Danny DeVito's doing a great job. Rhea Perlman's doing a great job. The son isn't given a lot to do, uh, but I think he kind of fits because he's supposed to be playing like this kind of dumb kid who's just kind of going along with his family. Um, I think, so having grown up, I read maybe almost every single, um, because this is a... Roald Dahl? Yes, thank you. um, Book, and I think I read... Almost every Roald Dahl book there was. Even some of the ones people weren't as big on, like the Twits. I liked the Twits with the monkeys I and the birds. the Twits. And they yeah. died because they got stuck upside down. Um, anyway, um, his books have a very cert- like aesthetic feel to them. Yeah. And I like the fact that even though they set this in the U.S. with U.S. actors, it still almost has that very small-town, villagey British feel to it. Like, even with the school, the school almost feeling like this kind of boarding British school. And, and it almost where it's like this, this feel with the colors and, and the montages, everything. It's this almost combination between 90s and retro 50s thrown together that works really well for me and I really like. Yeah, I think part of that is the fact that Matilda can walk everywhere. Yes. Because she can walk from her home to the library. Mrs. Honey walks her from the school to her house. Like, the fact that everything is so close together definitely gives you that feel of a small town. I I think the costuming also, um, where she, you've all got the kids in the very cute pinafore dresses, Um, the Wormwoods, it's almost this... 1950s he's this 1950s salesman look almost with the like oh with the that fedora terrible hat. Oh, suit not a jacket fedora hat but what is it it's that uh trilby yeah it's the trilby and she's got that very 60s um the bleach blonde updo and the 60s um 
very tight skirt and um, bustier silhouette going on. Yeah, I mean, in some of the scenes, it looks like she's just wearing straight lingerie. Yeah, and, but it's a very stylistic choice that I really like. And even, like, the, the boat salesmen, who are the feds, they look like they're straight out of, like, their 1950s feds. Yeah. Uh, I love Matilda's style oh, in this as well. it's so iconic. It is so simple, but works so well for her. Like, just a, a simple dress and a bow in the hair, and you've got Matilda. And it's very much to where the... And, and they even mention it, that she developed a style. Yes, by the age of two. Yes. But where I've... Like, you see, like, people dress up as this character for Halloween, and it's such a simple, like, you lead, like, two pieces. But you can, you can immediately be like, oh, I know what that person's dressed up as. Right. It's Matilda all grown up. Yes. Let's see what she's up to now. And it was a very, once she put on that outfit, you could easily follow that character and be like, yes, this is the same character. I did really like the little girl. She's only in about two, three scenes. The younger version of Matilda. Oh, yeah. She's very yeah. sweet. They found an adorable child to play every age of Matilda. Yes. I also like um, the woman play. Who plays Miss Honey? Oh, I don't know. I've only ever seen her in this, I think. Maybe I've seen her in something else. But I really like her. I think she's such a good foil because she's almost really, really normal and down to earth and a very good foil to almost all of these farcical characters that are surrounding her. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. She's playing the straight man. Uh, she's kind of like the uh, the Michael in Arrested Development. Oh, that's what I know her from. She's in Bicentennial Man. Oh, right. She, Is she the, the grown-up version? Yeah. yeah. Okay. She's also an army of darkness, miss. apparently. Um, hmm. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, I've, I've seen parts. It, it's just almost like this very... She's almost too perfect, but she's almost... Yeah. You need her to be that where everything is so ridiculously terrible. You need her to be almost this on a pedestal to be what Matilda needs, this kind of calmness. Because I feel like at the beginning of the film, we're attached to Matilda, and I think that continues throughout. Yes. But, like, Matilda's family is all crazy, all doing their own crazy things, and she's the, the straight man, the person that we're attached to, yeah. and yet she's insanely brilliant. Yes. And so... Having a character like Miss Honey, who is not a caricature, but like a normal person as her guide, really attaches the audience. She becomes the audience surrogate because she wants to help Matilda in a lot of the same ways that I'd want to help Matilda to, to get out from underneath her terrible family uh, and to really learn how to use her intellect. And this, this book, this movie, this book, I know we both really like the music from the musical as well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's not really meant... It's not a realistic. This is magic realism. And almost, in a way, it's a modern fairy tale. And I think that's true with a lot of Roald Dahl's books. Yes. Where all of, the, all of his stories have these fantastical uh, characters in them. And they have characters that are very one-note, but... They work. Like, Trunchbull is the embodiment of evil. Trunchbull doesn't get a redeeming factor to her because this is a children's story and we need a villain in the, the story. They have a lot of um, reoccurring themes of these characters who are in some way extraordinary, whether it's genius like Matilda or they are just very good children finding 
through some effort, a home. You see that in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You see that in James and the Giant Peach. You see that in this. And it's, it is that kind of takeoff of these, it is this idea of this modern day fairy tale um, of, yes, they're not very deep, but it's this, this kind of lighthearted story of like morality story where you don't need it really deep. You just need these characters who show good traits to get what they deserve in the end, which is a family or a home or something like that. Um, the BFG has a similar thing with Sophie. Yeah, and I think this film definitely has that theme throughout. Because even in the beginning, where before Matilda has gone to school, before she meets Miss Honey, she is reading a lot. And she's taking the books home on the wagon. And there's a line from the narration that is, she reads these books because of their hum- their hopeful and comforting message of, you are not alone. Yes. Oh. And, and we can talk about the fact that Danny DeVito obviously directed it but he and played the father but he is also the narration yes and this is maybe the one fault i have with the oh, film see i like is, this so for me it's confusing as an adult because danny devito is narrating and the narrator seems to be a matilda side but he's also the father and the father doesn't seem to be a matilda side and it's hard for me to separate the narration of DeVito from the character he's playing in the film. And I'm questioning whether it's the same guy. And it's not very clear to me what this narration is. Maybe it's for you who you didn't see this as a child, right? No. Well, yes, I I did see it as a child and I didn't realize it was DeVito as a child. That's the thing is for me as a child. I mean, I think I had seen, I'm trying to remember because I definitely saw some real terrible movies with Danny DeVito as a child. I saw, um, twins? Tw- Did yes. you see twins? Yes. And maybe, um, oh, what's the one where he's pregnant? Uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is twi- pregnant. <laughs> Junior. Junior. That one I might have seen in sometime in elementary school, I but I'm trying. Saw it. <laughs> Why were those the Danny DeVito movies? We... I, and I'm probably sure I saw one of the Bat- the Batman movie where he's penguin. Oh, right. But that might have been yeah. slightly later. Um, but I'm trying to see, like. This would have been one of the earlier Danny DeVito things I saw. And as a child, so I wasn't as familiar where I could just be like, oh, yes, that's Danny DeVito. So there was enough differentiation in the voices that I never put them together. And so so that didn't bother me. And now, since I already know that, I still see the differentiation and it doesn't bother me. So I don't know as a person who there's not enough evidence for us to come to an understanding on at what age in life and knowledge of Danny DeVito would be best to see this movie. But for me, it wasn't a problem. I really like Danny DeVito as the narrator. I think he has, in that role, a very comforting, gentle voice. And as the father, he is a total, total awful person. I, I agree with you. I mean, if I was directing the film, I may have just hired a different voice actor to do it. I don't think anything is gained by DeVito doing it other over another person. And for me, it kind of confuses which side is he on? Because, like, the dad is an interesting character in this because as bad as he is to Matilda, he does care about his daughter. I always saw them as different characters, so it never even crossed my mind. I think if they were going to replace him with everything, it should have been Jim Daly. Daly? Yeah. Just because, but I don't know what he was... Oh, he was too busy doing Harry Potter book tapes at that point. Ha! Uh, well, I would just say it's a, it's an entirely minor thing. It doesn't bother me. It, it's not even irksome throughout. It's a small change that also, I would make. I don't... I 
it's weird that in this movie it's probably the only time you really think about because he does so many character like th- like very like weird voiced characters and stuff that you never really think of Danny DeVito having this really soothing voice. But he yeah, does. he's he's normally yelling at something. Yeah, he's never that's using kind his of like normal, does. natural, calming voice. So oh, Danny DeVito, gosh. do some more like just chill, chill characters. Yeah. Gosh, because uh, yeah, you're right. Because in Taxi, in Hercules, uh, in um, oh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah, like he's, he's not, kind of always yelling. And probably that's just kind of probably. Well, that's what of, he gets hired to do. And it probably is part of the fact that he is five foot tall. So you're not going to get to play a lot of normal characters at that height. I'm sorry, Danny DeVito. You're great. I love you, but it's a price to pay. <laughs> yeah, he's not a leading man for he's sure. Not. Which is a shame because he seems delightful on screen. He does. So uh, the few points in the film where they do show that the dad actually cares for Matilda, and not overtly, but when Honey comes to the house to talk to Matilda's family uh, and say she is a talented student, a few years she could be ready for college, he initially doesn't want to let her in at all. And Honey questions whether or not he cares for his daughter and that's the moment he lets her in just to hear her out. Yeah, because he definitely, like, there's no, there's definitely neglect, but there's definitely no real, I would say, to the point of super abuse. It really just seems more like they do not, it's like their child is an alien, and they don't know what to do with this thing. Right, and like... As poorly as he does it, he tries to get her involved in the things that the family is doing. Like, the family likes watching this weird game show, and Matilda is there, but not watching it. The weird money. Something sticky money. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it is um, the weirdest thing. And I'm surprised. It was hosted by John Lovitz. I'm surprised it does not exist in real life. I would watch a few episodes of it for sure. You get covered in honey and catch the money. <laughs> I, that's uh, not the tagline, but it should be. It should be, but like the the equivalent of the show has existed yeah. in the past, where you're not sticky, you're just in, in a wind, wind tunnel. tunnel with money. I've I've seen those things at like parties. You can like rent them for events and stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't understand them. I've never done them. I it, I, it seems traumatic. So I'm not good with like loud noises and things so it just seems like i would just freak out and curl up into a ball and be like i'll catch the money on the floor well the (laughs) The, our audience can't see the face i'm making but i'm kind of like a groundhog yeah i mean that's how i would describe that yes someone should screen screen (laughs) but no it's a it's a fun game show the dad tries to get her involved in it and she's just not interested in it which is fine because she likes reading literature uh, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's definitely a trope in movies where to display that a character is smart, they have them just read classic literature that we understand to be difficult to read. It's things you've encountered in like your English class in high schools that you would have skipped and just read the cliff notes on. If you get a character actually reading them, it's shorthand for, this character is smart. I was that child. <laughs> I did... You can you can ask family members. I was that one who like I went I read children's books and then I went through a pretentious phase where I'm like I have a very high reading level. I will uh-huh. read all of the classics and then I got past that and went, "You know what? 
I somehow missed that like middle section where I just read fun books. So I'm just going to read like be in my 20s and read books meant for younger than me. Yeah, and I, I guess my only problem with that is I've tried to read the classics because they're the oh, classics. Oh, they're boring. Yeah, the thing of it is they're good in the history of literature. They were iconic pieces and they did a lot to expand what literature was or could be. But some of them aren't very Here, fun to read. Here's advice from Book Nerd Sarah, because even when I was in that pretentious page, oh, some of those were a slog. Yeah. Find books on tape with real good narrators. Oh, yeah, they make that's them much better. But I will say she did pick uh, a good author in Charles Dickens, because I have enjoyed reading a lot of Charles Dickens' work. I liked Great Times, uh, Tale of Two Cities. I have a love-hate relationship with Charles Dickens. (laughs) I really hate David Copperfield. Oh, okay. I've not read David Copperfield. Nothing happens! He's He's a magician, isn't he? No, he's a poor orphan, because they're all poor orphans. All of them. All... All of them are poor orphans. Name me one where it's not a poor orphan. Edwin Drood. Is he not a poor orphan, that one? No, he's he's a college student. Oh, is he? Yeah. He could be a poor orphan at some point. But <laughs> I mean, he's probably a former poor orphan. But uh, Great Expectations, poor orphan. Yeah. Uh, David Copperfield, poor orphan. Oliver yeah. Twist, poor orphan. Yeah. Even in um, um, Christmas Carol, he his parents die in that, are, are they, da- no, or are, are, did they die or did they go to debtor's prison? It's one of the two. Oh, I don't recall. His uh, sister but... dies. He has no family. He has a nephew because his sister dies during childbirth or something. He's like, Where's the baby? <laughs> All right. He knows, he knows his niche for sure. I, I understand. But the, the few things that I've read from Charles Dixon, Dictioned. I have enjoyed. More, more things happen in the other ones. Just nothing happens in David Copperfield. <laughs> he falls in love. She dies. They do poor orphan stuff. And then in the end, he finds out, oh, it turns out this guy was my father all the time. But it didn't matter because oh, we were poor and he was also and poor. I was an orphan. I thought I was an orphan. What's my dad doing here? But I didn't tell you because I'm a poor. To be fair, I read this like 20 years ago. Uh, 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 can we do a Sarah's Cliff Notes podcast where you try to remember oh, books you read 20 years ago? Do you want to hear about ago? my, um, I came up with a three-sentence description of War and Peace the other day. Was it, there's some war and some other stuff, then some peace? No, it's the first part, rich people problems. The second part, Russian war is really terrible. Third part, everyone gets a happy ending except for Sonya. <laughs> I wish I knew more about this book so I could appreciate that sweet joke you just did. Someone who's read War and Peace will get that or watch the really long BBC miniseries, which is really, is it BBC? Anyway, it's really know. good. Paul Dano's it. in it. Paul Dano's great. I like Paul Dano. He plays anyway, Pierre. Pierre gets a happy ending. Pierre Escargo. Um, back uh-huh. to Matilda. <laughs> We're all, but, this is what happens when Mark isn't here. Oh, God, yeah. Mark. Mark is our linchpin to keep us on track. <laughs> but, uh, so, sure I like... War and Peace. I really like that they diversify Matilda's skills. It's not just that she reads a lot of classic literature. She's at a very high reading level. She can also do high-level math in her head. I like that they show these two distinct abilities that she has to demonstrate her intelligence instead of just giving her classic works of literature. Uh, because I also went through, uh, they do 
two math things they have her multiply a couple of numbers and they uh have her figure out the profit that she made uh, or that her dad made selling cars that day i went through and checked the math she's correct turns out the math problem they have in the film yeah she solves it correctly and she solves it quicker than i could she's also um very good like very observant because like she notices that the um the boat salesmen are not boat salesmen like right away she just walks in and when her dad shows up she's like it's the cops. <laughs> it's not the cops. They're boat salesmen. They're boat sales. You never let me talk to anyone. Oh, Rhea Perlman is so funny in this oh, movie. I love her. Uh, let's talk about the cops because this was this was I one of the auditions. I took you to the wine restaurant. You found that comb in the bouillabaisse. Oh, I like that place. Uh, but the cops were not in the original story, uh, which I think was a great audition because at the end of the book. Uh, the, the FBI is pursuing her family, but there's no precursor to that. There's no foreshadowing to that, except that her dad is a shady businessman. So I like that they have the cops up front, and it's a storyline that's developed throughout. So when the, the final climax comes and the, uh, the family has to escape, it has uh, foreshadowing to it. You know it's kind of coming. Yes. And it's not a total shock. But it's it's a good addition that builds on something from the book and isn't trying to add something out of nowhere. Right. It's something to add clarity instead of... You get a lot of things where they're adding stuff just to pad out time or something that actually adds more confusion than anything, where this just adds clarity and helps things um, solidify what's already there. I'd, I love the scene in the garage where the cops have come in without a warrant. Oh, right after the montage. Yes, right after the montage where Matilda has figured out the her powers. The best montage. Yes. Uh, where they're, they're trying to get this box of car parts and Matilda's moving around with her mind. Uh, and then the cops confront her and try to trick her into betraying her family, but she's too bright for them. Uh, and then Matilda... Puts their car into neutral, so it rolls down the hill and steals the tape as they depart. Uh, I love this because it shows that, like, despite Matilda not really getting along with her family, she also doesn't want to get them in trouble. Yeah, she's on their side, and it shows that Matilda doesn't hate her family despite not having anything in common with them. Yeah, because because throughout the whole thing, even at the end when she pulls out the adoption papers. It's never really malicious. It's just, I need to find some place I fit better, and you need to be with the people you fit with better. Right. We're never going to get along. We've tried it for years. We, let's just separate and go our separate ways, and we can both be happy. And I think that's, despite, like, I mean, that sounds bad. I would never say it to my parents because they care about me. But in this instance, like, it makes sense for both of them, and they're both going to be happier for it. Yes. And obviously, this is a very exaggerated situation where you're like, yeah, this works. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the other part that they added to this film, which works so well, is Matilda in the house, the Trunchbull house. Oh, yeah. Um, trying to... See, she takes Honey there. They go up to her room to find Honey's old doll. Uh, and Trunchbull comes back, and they've got to kind of do a stealth mission to keep away from Trunchbull. Like, this, I don't know if it super accomplishes anything, except for, like, getting Matilda in the house and setting up that uh, Honey loves this doll. Uh, but 
it is a great scene because it is so tense. Yes. And it is legitimately scary because at this point, we kind of believe that Trunchbull has killed Honey's dad. Yes. And so if she catches them, she's going to do another murder. And this scene, and it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff they do in the musical, it very much reminds you of the fact that we're being told this story from a child's point of view. And everything is kind of exaggerated. Like, this principal would be, and being trapped in this house with this scary principal, would be terrifying to a small child. Like, and they do it in the musical, too, where they have, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about the musical, but in the musical, they do it where the older kids, the sixth graders, are played by adults. Because to a child, that, even though, like, think of, oh, they're 12-year-olds. They're not adults. But to someone who... Matilda's supposed to be six. That much age gap. Oh, yeah, I thought they're like enormous. At that age, when I was when I was in kindergarten, we had we had older siblings. The sixth graders came and and did activities with us and gave us little gifts. I thought like in my brain, it was like they were high schoolers. They were almost adults. They should be able to drive soon. It was nuts. And then looking back, I'm like, they're tiny children. How could I think that? <laughs> but like in the musical, they did that that exaggerated sense of this, and they do that. To some um, instances, like when she first sees the school and it's like zoomed up. and It's um, enormous, yeah. That idea of everything seems like this big deal to a kid. And I think that scene, like this very, very heightened tense of like, even when you're with the teacher, you're like, like, or with with doing stuff, you're like, ah, everything's insane. Mm -hmm. And I think that scene does that really well. Yeah, it's the second sneaking scene, uh, sneaking, scene sneaking. in the, in the uh, the movie where the first one is when she puts the the peroxide in her dad's oh, yes. hair thing, where she's got to sneak past her dad and then she almost gets caught by her mom, which is kind of like a jump scare, but it's okay because the mom has that oh, sleeping the, the mask, mask on. on with the eyes. Ah, oh, God, there's so many great moments in this, which is, which in itself is terrifying. That eye mask. Oh, yeah, why would you get a sleeping mask that has eyes? What, do you try to scare owls away? Because that character wants everything bedazzled. <laughs> of course she does. Huh. Well, another thing that shocked me, uh, that on a second watch I caught, is like some of the stunts in this movie aren't performed by stunt actors. Uh, if, for instance, there's a driving scene, very beginning, they're coming back from the hospital. With the baby? Where they had- with the baby. The baby's not... Baby's probably a stunt actor. Uh, but stunt baby? The, yes. Uh, the dad is driving the car down the street. Oh, and they always and hit the kids. And he's swerving to, to, to miss the kids that are playing in the street. Get and out I thought, of the well, street! Right. That's great defensive driving. I wonder who they got to do that. But it's a long shot, and it pulls into the driveway, and it's Danny <laughs> DeVito driving. He drove the entire time. He could have killed these kids. Danny DeVito, director, actor, narrator, stunt driver. Yeah. No, because uh, so so often they just get a stunt double to do something like that. And it's cool to see that both DeVita at, DeVito and DeVita. Perlman were in the car. In the Garden DeVito. In, in the Garden DeVito, yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite stunt in this movie is the flinging the girl over the fence. Oh, it's so good. That's so iconic. I tried to take a picture of that and send it to you guys when I was watching it. It's so cute because, like, it's such a scary scene at first. And then she just goes flying and she's like, oh, this is fun. There's flowers. And I'm like, yeah, that does look like fun. Yeah. As far as the things that don't hold up in this film, 
I would say uh, that flying scene. <laughs> oh, it, and it they, does look the the montage real. where she's flying around uh, computer generated poker chips. Those effects haven't super held they up. They don't well. held up, but there's that montage is still so fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But this the a lot of the movie doesn't rely on the effects. No. Like, you can so, definitely tell when she's moving stuff. It's just, like, fishing wire moving it across. Yeah. And it's so great to see a character who can use these powers, uh, but not relying too much on the effects to sell the story yeah. to us. And sometimes it's fun, like, it, that it's just, like, wobbly, slowly moving across, because she's a yeah. little girl. This little girl. Maybe she doesn't have full control over it yet. She's not, it makes sense for the character. She didn't figure it out right away. She's not, like... 100 level power right away. She just needs to like wiggle it across and get the book. So that's my other, uh, I don't want to call it a problem because I like this film. The other thing You're that might problem. change. Yeah, I am the problem. Uh, is her powers come really late in the film, which is true to the book. The book takes a while to get her to school, which is where she first uh, sees her powers and then develops using them. That comes late in the story, and it comes late in this movie. Uh, and it, I like that they don't try to get an arbitrary explanation for why she has these powers, but I would like to see maybe like more development of them earlier in the film. So that's my only thing, is I like her powers. I want it explained maybe more in the first act and not just show up uh, towards the end of the second act. And we'll say... Bringing up the musical again. My favorite song from the musical comes when she discovers her powers. Is that quiet? That is quiet. Yeah, I love quiet. It's a good song. Uh, I like that one. I like the song Miss Honey has, uh, where she just talks about her little home and oh, how it's perfect yes. for her. Uh, and then uh, When I Grow Up is a great song. Uh, Revolting Children. Like Revolting Children is also pretty great. Naughties. Well, it's all good. It's- oh, yes. Go, go see the Matilda musical. Oh, watch, um, our audience, what's his you. face? Um, shoot, why am I forgetting? Red-haired comedian that did the music. Uh, Carrot Top. Not Carrot Top. <laughs> I don't know. He, um, Louis C.K. Shut your faces. Tim, red- Tim Minchin. <laughs> Tim Minchin. Who did the music. He's, he's a red-headed comedian? Yeah. Okay. That's what he did before he wrote the music for Matilda. He did music comedy. All right, fair enough. He also has red hair. Um... Anyway, he wrote the music for Matilda. There's some behind-the-scenes things where he um, talks, he sings the songs himself with his piano, but he also talks about some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, watch some of that on YouTube. It's great. He, he gives some great background into some of the songs. That's all I have to say about Matilda the musical. It's good. Yes, if you haven't listened to the ch- soundtrack and enjoy this film, you will enjoy the crap out of that Because he talks about at one it point how When I Grow Up almost got cut and why he... Because oh. it didn't fit anywhere, but he's like, no, it's very important to the theme of the show. We need to fit it in somewhere. Yeah. Uh, also, is Trunchbull the gym teacher or the physical education teacher in the musical? Mm, no, she's just talking about... Because remember, she won the, the medal. I, yes, I agree, but uh, the the ABC song oh. always talks about just you wait till phys ed. Maybe. Okay. Anywho. Yes, if you want to throw the hammer. For your country. You have to stay inside the circle all the time. Oh, gosh. Oh, the television song. Oh, or the... I learned from telly. Loud is really good, too. box of mine. 
uh, uh, loud is great. Yes, I love the characterization in oh. this. I love it in the musical. Oh, it's hard to pick which one I like more. Uh, probably the musical because I like musicals. This is a very good source material. Yes, though, uh, like Rhea Perlman doesn't have. I mean, she doesn't dance the Taratella in this. Uh, her character is more just like bingo. housewife, uh, going to bingo, occasionally winning bingo, uh, entertaining boat salesmen, um, uh, doing, uh, she's, hmm, she's kind of a, a trophy wife in that I'm not sure she has a job and she focuses a lot she on her appearance. She definitely does not have a job. Okay. Her job is bingo. Her job is bingo. Ah, but... She has um, a really characteristic line, a line that sums up her character entirely. When Honey visits, she says simply, you chose books, I chose looks. See where we got in life? And, like, that is so perfect for her philosophy. And, and the thing is, both of them kind of look at each other like they both feel like they chose correctly. Yeah, Oh, and, like, this scene is taken directly from the book where Honey points out, like, they hate college-educated people because neither one of them went to college. And yet, like, she points out, if you need a lawyer, he will be a college graduate. If, God forbid, you get sick, your doctor will be a college graduate. To be fair, I feel like if they went to a lawyer, he would not be (laughs) college-educated. I feel, or he would go to a school in a different country. I would not trust their lawyer. Oh, you don't think they would get a shady lawyer that would be totally on board with uh, their shady dealings? I bet they'd have a mob boss lawyer, like a a lawyer that worked also for like some crime family. There you go. Oh, but I... I got my degree in Guatemala. (laughs) It totally transfers to the U.S. I do not know the state of the law schools in Guatemala. I'm sorry to that whole country. Yeah, we do not represent the legal status of Guatemala. I've never claimed to do this. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the montages in this film. They have great they music. Are, they do. They have, oh, when that the song comes up at the very beginning, it's a montage where you see Matilda taking care of herself during the day and, it's, uh, and slowly growing up. And it, it's the song that goes, Send Me On Your Way. Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root is what I'm it is. I'm pretty sure it's called Humboy. I'm pretty sure it's Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root. Uh, you could be right. I know uh, this because I used yeah. to have it on my I, I, my um, MP3 player, which was not an iPod because I had a Zune. Oh, Zunes. I loved yeah, my Zune. Don't make fun of it's it. It's so great. And it's it just puts you in a good mood. And then seeing the kid take care of herself and like find things to read and entertain herself throughout the day. That like, it's small amazing. child has a great giggle when she's laughing in the library. Oh, it yes. Is, it heals the sick. <laughs> the other montage is where Matilda has finally worked out how to do her powers. Itty bitty pretty one. Itty yes. Bitty bitty. It's, did you see the, the uh, video that came out recently that was someone no. reenacting this montage with a dog? Oh, that'd be so I'll great. I'll have to find it and post it on the site. All right. it yes, is, please. I'll be like, guess what's coming up for our next episode? It's a dog. <laughs> it's just a dog. Turns out it's not Matilda, it's Airbud. <laughs> <laughs> Tricked ya. <laughs> we haven't done that one yet. Uh, no, we haven't. I don't want to do it because it has so many sequels. Anyway. We're not doing all 20 sequels and spinoffs. 
They start talking at some point. Oh, my God. Of course they do. I think it's still anyway. going on. I think that's an ongoing franchise. <laughs> oh, I was going to say something. As, oh, the, uh, one of the differences uh, between the movie and the book is when Matilda tries to duplicate her powers for Miss Honey. In the movie, it does not work at first. In the book, she is able to do it immediately. Uh, and, like, it's like, once she figures it out, she's figured it out. And I kind of like the movie's take on it better. Where, for a while, Honey can believe that it's just Matilda's imagination running away with her. And yet, we know Matilda did it on purpose. And, like, I like that this gives it more development. And she's not just immediately a master of these powers. Have I told you that there are three newts used in this movie? Oh, really? And their names... It's a bug. A bug, a bug, a bug. Their names are Mr. Speaker, Sir, <laughs> Sir Isaac, and Wayne. And Wayne. But Sir Isaac Newt. I, I got it. That's, it's pretty great. I like Wayne Newt better. Oh, Wayne Newt. Yeah. I get it. all right um let's see so we've talked uh for all the things we love this film which is a lot we haven't even talked about the we haven't talked about bruce oh my gosh how did we not talk about bruce bruce bog trotter bruce 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 Bruce. i think i just i i could see it a slice or even two bruce might have been nice but even you bruce have to admit between you and it there's not a lot of difference in size i think i just spiked the mic really bad with that Probably. Oh, gosh. But yes, let's talk about this scene. It is so iconic. They redid and it for the like the 20 year anniversary. They redid the scene. Oh, that's so and great. Bruce I is skinny. love it. Bruce is a hottie Because it's, it's more of a Trunchbull character development than it is about Matilda at all. I love that it's an iconic scene that doesn't involve the main character it's, pretty much at yes, all. Yes, it's about... Trunchbull and the other students, it's about her starting to lose her grip on the school and lose her grip on her mind. Okay, so walk us through the scene, Sarah. What is happening? Trunchbull has a special cake that Cook makes her in the kitchen, and somebody came and stole some of the cake, which is Bruce. Bog Trotter. Brucey. Um, and so she decides as punishment that Bruce must eat a whole cake, a whole giant cake. Yes. Starting with one slice, which he doesn't want because he thinks it might be poisoned. Which uh, isn't... And then I finishing mean, that, and then the rest of the cake comes and out. And it's a huge cake. It does look delicious, though. Like I agree. I got in an, uh, a heated discussion with my girlfriend on this. She would not eat that cake. Really? I, I know, it right? It looks delicious. I want some. It looks, oh, so the cake looks like a very moist chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the inner like, uh, frosting feeling? looks like it's peanut butter. Plus it's got a, uh, a, fridge, a, fridge. a fudge coating it's, around the yeah, outside. Yeah, whatever's in the middle, it looks a little, like, it looks thick and fluffy or something. It's See, thin. I thought it was peanut butter. I'm not sure. Because that's a good compliment. I need to look again. But it looks good. But yeah. I would have a slice of this cake. I don't want the whole thing. It's friggin' enormous. 
think so. But, yeah, it looks like, like he was rich and you'd slice. be sick after. So I guess I her point. someone made a recipe. Her point comes from uh, what we see of the cook. And I don't understand why the cook is so mean. Why she is like the, um, uh, the, the, the second in command to this terrible leader of the school. Like in the, the book anyways, uh, Trunchbull is mean, but all the rest of the staff is great. In the movie, they have to make the cook evil for some reason. Uh, also, the cook is um, terribly unhygienic. We see her, like, use both of her fingers to wipe her nose and then not wash her hands before going back to work. Are you looking at the cake right now? I am. It looks more like a moose filling to me. Okay. But either way, it looks delicious. Yes. I would have a slice of this cake. Maybe in this universe, Mm -hmm. the cook was on her hammer-throwing team with her and their old, like, sportsmen. Now, she doesn't look very tough herself. Maybe. Would she be more like a hammer jockey? Or like maybe just she carrying was like, around the tools? Maybe she was like, did like the, the what is the, uh, the spear thing? Oh, javelin. Yes, maybe she was a javelin. Okay, but Trunchbull was also javelin. We see her throwing yeah. javelins in her home and destroying the resale value of her but house. But maybe she was at some other track event. They were in track okay. together. Maybe she was a, yeah, like track a hurdler. Yeah, all right, I'd buy that. So they go way back. Yeah. They were all sports mates and they (laughs) served in the the trenches. (laughs) I love the Bruce Bogtrotter scene. Uh, It, for uh, the the brief time that we see Bruce on screen, it gives this kid like a wonderful scene to do. Like if you got cast as Bruce in the show, you wouldn't have much to do, but you would have this one scene that would be yours. It's iconic. And they remade it. Yeah. Like, when it, they hit the anniversary, the scene uh, they remade is they made the cake scene. And the kid who plays Bruce, has he went through a Neville Longbottom where he oh, has slimmed down and looks he, great. So He neveled up, if you he will. He neveled up. So good for you, Jim Cars. I'm glad you looked at that name because I don't know it. Um, I will send you the BuzzFeed article. I do not condone BuzzFeed. They're kind of trash, but... Uh, they make some entertaining YouTube videos. That's true, but... Anywho, let's go on to the, uh, the, the climax of this film. Let's move on towards the end, uh, where Matilda um, doesn't break into the House of Trunchbull, but uses her powers to psychologically torture Trunchbull and make her believe that... She is being uh, the, haunted. The brother-in-law that she murdered is coming back to get her. Is it brother-in-law or brother? I think so. I thought it was just brother? I thought it was the brother. I understood it to be uh, that the dad, uh, the wife was... Uh, so mother and father have Miss Honey. Uh, the dad... Uh, no, the, the wife dies. The dad brings on his wife's sister... To come help take care of the child. That's my understanding. maybe? Keep talking. Anywho. uh, So, I love the scene in, like, the very simple things that Matilda does. uh, Because it starts off with Matilda just changing the time on the clock. And it really just sets the tone where she'll make it go to 9 o'clock and the chimes start. And once the chimes settle down, Trunchbull 
relaxes, she goes to sit down, Matilda has moved the chair, and she ends up on the floor. While Trunchbull is distracted, she sets the time to 10 o'clock, and the chimes go off again. And this is just setting a wonderful atmosphere for this supernatural thing uh, that is about to happen to Miss Trunchbull. So just these very simple things that they do are super effective. Because uh, Matilda also uses her powers to, like, wiggle the power lines, which his old home would have, and the lights start flickering in and out. Uh, and the final thing, the thing, the nail in the coffin, is she takes Trunchbull's portrait off of the mantle, puts it in the fire, and brings Magnus's portrait down the stairs, thumping all the way and dropping down all of um, Trunchbull's sports equipment, and puts it back up on the mantle where it belongs, because this is his home. You're right, it's sister-in-law. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, because they don't have the same last name. Yeah, that, that would be the why. Ah. I was trying to, well, I was trying to think of the candy thing, but the candy thing was between him and her when she was little, not between them right. when they were little. Sorry. Yeah. And, like, so I love this scene in that this scene is also not in the book. This is a wonderful addition. In the book, we get the second part of this, which we'll go into, where they're in the classroom, but not where we're at the home and setting up that Trunchbull has just had a... Uh, basically a visit from a ghost that it wants to get her. Uh, the, so the next day at school is the scene uh, in the book where Trunchbull is leading the classroom and Matilda picks up chalk and starts writing on the chalkboard with it and all the kids in unison are reading the words as she writes them. And just having... 20 or so children oh, so say the words that freaked me out. Children talking in unison is terrifying. No matter especially, what they're saying. Well, especially saying like, uh, you get out or I will get you. Yes. Oh, horrifying. Uh, but the, <laughs> the smoking gun for Trunchbull though is when she's trying to escape she finds a ribbon at her house, and at school next day, Matilda is not wearing her iconic ribbon, suggesting that she owns exactly one ribbon. I don't... You can't... Normally, you buy ribbons in spools and cut right. a piece off. Right. So I don't see why Matilda would not be wearing a ribbon in that classroom Because it's not that like... Day. It's not like it's a, a headband which you would buy in one piece. It's right. just a ribbon she's tying in a bow. So unless she stole it off a Christmas present or something. <laughs> maybe her dad won't buy her books. Maybe he won't buy her ribbons. Maybe not. They like her enough to buy her clothes, at least. That's true. Uh, but I love the, the upcoming, or the comeuppance, rather, for Trunchbull in this moment where uh, Trunchbull tries to throw a student out of the classroom and Matilda has the student fly and do a loop-de-loop. Uh, Trunchbull tries to, uh, I think, she's running towards the door and would hit a student, and so Matilda makes the student fly up uh, so that Trunchbull runs underneath her. I love that all the students decide to just ruin their lunch for the day and throw it at Trunchbull as she is running away from the school. Uh, it's a very satisfying moment. And it's not even just the ones in the classroom. It's just everyone oh, yeah. who has not, like, oh, we don't really know what's on, but she's leaving. We're taking the like, opportunity. 
the students come out, they see Trudgeful lying on the floor, covered in lunch, and just like, yeah, all right, I'm on board. We never even talked about the chokey. Oh, the chokey. It's ba- I, it's a um It's like an Iron Maiden. It is an Iron Maiden. <laughs> that she just sticks students in in her office. Cause she's horrible. Uh, oh goodness. Uh, but in the final moments in the movie is where we get the most touching part. Where her Matilda's parents are fleeing the country because the, the FBI is finally caught up to his terrible business practices. They're not very smart. Like, no, they they get packages delivered to the home. They're, which is why Matilda has to stay home to sign for packages. They are terrible at their job. Yeah. Ah, but uh, it's where Matilda produces adoption papers that she has had since she's been old enough to Xerox. Uh, and her parents sign her away, doing the first nice thing for her they've ever done in their lives. Uh and they live happily ever after which, with Honey as her adopted parent. Which is interesting, but there is a really touching moment between her and, and Rhea Perlman where she says, you're the only daughter oh, I've yeah. ever had, but I've never understood you. Yeah, not one little bit. But, and then she signs the papers. But it's this kind of moment where she really understands, I'm never going to be able to understand you or give you what you need, so I'll sign mm-hmm. the papers. Uh, it's really, really well done scene. Yeah, it's really touching, like, despite... Like the uh, the undertones of a parent signing away their child, uh, but I mean because the film is so well set up for this family dynamic, like we're on their side of them signing. Yes. So final note I have uh, in the the end of this movie, uh, we see Matilda in bed uh, reading with Miss Honey. She uses her powers to pull over the book in the the book Matilda. She does not have her powers at the end. It is explained that her powers came from her being non-challenged in class. She gets to advance classes at the end of the book, and so her powers aren't there anymore because she's using her mind for other things. So, which version do you think is better? Should Matilda keep her powers, or should she have lost them uh, so that after they have run their course and done the thing that they were designed to do. I weirdly think that I like both of them. Oh, okay. I think in the movie it works better because it kind of gives it this cute little visual thing at the end Yeah. where she still has them. But for the book, I like that there's this explanation. I think in the movie it would have just added this extra chunk of narration that would have gotten clunky. Instead of just having this little thing of, well, now that she's happy, she doesn't have to use them anymore. Instead of being like, well, now they're gone and she's happy and she has schoolwork and she doesn't have to. And her brain is, she, like, I think it would have gotten too clunky in the movie. Whereas in the book, it's written word and obviously all of it's clunky. Not clunky, but all of it's written right. dialogue. Right, all of it yeah. is exposition. Yes. And so yeah. I think it works for that. And I think in the movie, paring it down to that little one sentence of she doesn't have to anymore, I think it's better. Mm-hmm. All right. No, I can totally buy that. Uh, Yeah, I kind of was leaning towards the side of the book where it's kind of nice to have this, uh, like, this quirky bubble in their early life. Yeah. Something that a child can believe in, that I had this power, and I had it as a child, and I don't really have it as an adult. I definitely wouldn't want, like, a sequel with an adult Matilda still using her powers. I definitely want it to be, like, 
I'm going to bring up a terrible movie. Uh-huh. Um, baby Geniuses, where it's like this gift that you grow out of. <laughs> to be fair, child me loved Baby Geniuses. Uh, I would say I, I maybe like the first Baby Geniuses. Oh, no, I've never seen they the second. Made, oh, the second one? They have superpowers. I've never seen the second Baby Geniuses. I've only seen the first one. And for some reason, I really like the montage in the mall where he's in the mall at night dancing to putting on the Ritz, the 90s remix version. Sure. Don't ask uh, me. I won't. I was like seven. All right. On that terrible note, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, where we take a couple of properties and put them in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So I'm going to start us off and tell you what movies can be put together to compose Matilda. All right, so since this is a movie with a young child who is an outcast in their family, learning to use their strange telekinetic powers and ultimately leaving that home forever at the end of the film, and... Uh, a movie where a student in, uh, is in a feud with their school's headmaster... Uh, attends a public school for the first time, starts a meaningful relationship with a first grade teacher, and takes it upon themselves to start a revolution. This is Escape to Witch Mountain meets Rushmore. Hmm? Sorry, my thing is not... Jeez Louise. Anyway! What have you done to your thing? My Did you break your computer again? No. Did you make me small? No, it was Google. Anyway. Uh-huh. Because this is about a youth with telekinetic powers and about a young girl attempting to find a parental figure uh-huh. this is x-men meets annie oh very nice i thought you were about to steal one from me and i'm glad you didn't <laughs> all right uh so since this is a property with a young prodigy born into a lower-class family that does not share their interest in learning, trying to navigate being the smartest kid in school with a narrator describing their life, and a property with a girl coming to terms with her telekinetic powers after being emotionally abused by her family and occasionally locked in a confined space, using her powers to her advantage to seek justice against her school principal, this is Malcolm in the Middle meets Carrie. Against the school principal, or just around everyone? Uh, it is everyone. The principal gets involved in Carrie. <laughs> um, so because this is about a girl, about a a young child with some powers in a uh-huh. large brick school, meets a child who wants to get away from some not great family members, meets okay. a. Curious cast of new friends. Okay, it's okay. Harry Potter meets James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> I did guess the second one. Yeah, Harry Potter I considered as well, because, like, the Dursleys are a worse version of the Wormwoods, for But no sure. one got killed by Rhinoceri. <laughs> That's, that is true. That's how the parents uh, die in James and the Giant Peach. No. They yeah. escape from the zoo. Although in the movie they so make weird. it like a representation it's of like a car. cloud. Yeah, but it's kind of seen as a representation of a car crash, maybe? Because oh. there's all like car crash noises when it 
Like, okay. it's like the storm and it's clouds and there's car crash noises. All I remember is in the book, it's just there's runaway, right? They keep saying it's runaway rhinoceroses from the zoo, which yeah, seems in, more in in place with a Roald Dahl movie, like book. Yeah, just, but in the movie, it is always kind of slightly suggested that his aunts have been lying to them. Oh, yeah. Like, rhinoceri running over his parents is just a cover story that they came up Definitely. with. Definitely. Whereas in the Roald Dahl book, that probably is actually what happened because it's a Roald Dahl book. I don't remember. All right. We'll have to watch that movie at some point because it's great. Yes. All right. So I'm going to finish up my last one. A child born to a verbally abusive family discovering and developing telekinetic abilities, using them to play pranks and seek justice against those who have wronged them. Uh, and... A movie where a poor child gets everything they ever wished for, featuring scenes with children flying and an overweight boy overindulging in chocolate. This is Chronicle meets Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, shoot. I never finished that last one. All right. Do you want to just do marks? Do you have that open? No. My last half one is because it's magical realism full of colorful, uh, colorful scenery and um not great adult characters except for the one um kind of teachery character it's nanny mm-hmm. mcphee meets a question mark meets a question mark oh my headphones have been on backwards yeah that happens sometimes turns out they still work yeah. um <laughs> All right, so Mark did provide us with some games, even though he is not here and he is at a tech rehearsal for his latest show, uh, which we would advertise if you had a chance to see it, which you don't, because this comes out the 12th and their run finishes up the 8th of December. Anyway, his game uh, is, since this is a property with a child with magical abilities brought up in a dysfunctional family that does not want it, It, Mark, you're calling a child an it, uh, sent away to school with a vengeful slash antagonistic educator. Uh, But the child is given hope by other teachers and peers. The child misbehaves and defies school slash adult rules several times, but is okay because they do it in the name of good, question mark. In the end, the student uses magical abilities to overcome their enemy and become the hero and... A property with some dark family issues mixed with light humor and jaunty music uh, reminds Mark of a Tim Burton slash Danny Elfman mood throughout the film. Uh, This is Harry Potter, any of them, uh, meets Edward Scissorhands. Our second game is Alternate Taglines, a word or phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film that should encapsulate the theme, though for us hopefully missing the point. Now, this one, I would say, is always the hardest to do. Um, I think other, uh, the other hosts of the show would agree. And because I love this movie so much, it was hard to find, like, a, a weird theme to pluck out. So it's possible that all of mine will be good ones this time, uh, which Sarah does not care for. Uh, however, um, I'm going to go ahead and start us off. Oh, no, wait. We should do the actual taglines. Uh, we'll do... Let's see. We're just going to make the face for the rest of the... Part of that... Uh, a lot of them are just kind of generic. Uh, Matilda, a little magic goes a long way. Or, Matilda, somewhere inside all of us is the power to change the world. She doesn't change the world. She just changes her block. 
She, that's a part of the world. Anyway, starting us off, this is my first one. Matilda, all children are special. She's just a little more than others. That's it. What you got, Sarah? Just a second. I thought of one that's not really... Sorry. Sorry, you were saying that, and all I could think of is Matilda. It's not called upper school, you darn Brits. <laughs> the very end, they're like, and they had to add an upper school because no one wanted to leave, and I'm like, it's not called upper school. Where are you? Aren't you, like, in, like, New Jersey? <laughs> is that a New England thing? No, it's a British thing. Uh, well, you said New Jersey, which happens to be a state in the, the, the United States. No, I'm saying, like, they're taking, like, this, this is taking place in the U.S. Somewhere, like. Yes, correct. So it should be a middle school or a, yeah. a junior high school. Yeah, right. but they're, like, and they're added an upper school, and I'm, like, they're doing it because the book is British. Right. But they're not, the movie is not taking place in England. It's the one thing that bothered me watching the end of it this time is I was like, everything transferred over to the U.S. except for the upper school. I've never in the U.S. heard it called upper school. Yeah. Also, they, uh, well, another thing they changed is they made Miss Honey significantly less poor than she is in the book. Uh, because her rent in the house here is $50 a month. Um, in the, um, in the book, it's 50 pence a week, meaning $2 a month, essentially. Uh, also, like, she doesn't have, uh, she's basically living in a shed, and so it doesn't have, like, a shower. She has to heat up water and gives herself sponge baths. This is how she bathes in the book. To be fair, could you... I'm like, what would be, like, the, the coating on a place without a shower? Yeah, probably, probably fair, not when, residential. No, Matilda was written in 88, I think. I, I remember, like, it was around the time I was born when that book came out. Let me... Anywho, uh, I'm going to move on to my second one. Uh, Matilda, all rules were meant to be broken, including the laws of physics. Oh, no, I'm... Oh, yes. Okay. Never mind. Ignore me. Okay. Do you want to go on to your second tagline? Yes. It's Matilda. Who needs family therapy when you've got magic? <laughs> I swear and a Xerox used... machine. <laughs> I swear you've used that one before. I mean, something it... about family therapy and magic. I mean, it does seem to fix a lot of the problems in our, these movies, like '90s kids movies. Like, oh yeah, it just have a little bit of magic. Your life turns out great. We're not apparently. gonna. T oh, it might have been from um, Never Ending Story, because <laughs> that family does right. not talk about its problems either. That's true. No, no family talk. The only family that I think talked about its problems in any of these movies we watched was Man of the House, and I hated that movie. Yeah, it was a bad film. But they anyway. did talk about their problems. It's true. Kind of. More anyway, than any uh, other movie that we've watched. Well, yes, but it was a movie about family problems. My final one, which I like only because it is a Charles Dickens reference, it is Matilda, with great power comes great expectations. All right. So, Mark did not grace us with a tagline, so we're going to go on to our third game, which is the TV Guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would find in a TV Guide or Netflix description, which accurately describes the plot of the film, but might miss the point. So, Sarah, why don't you... Oh no, you only had one for this. I'm again going to start us off. This movie is about 
A principal of a school is forced out of her job despite constantly trying to show her students the discipline that led to her success as an Olympic athlete, taking a hands-on approach in the classroom, and giving a child all the dessert he could ever want. <laughs> oh, that's... All right. That was not in response to your thing. <laughs> all right. I have... <laughs> a young girl... Deals with years of mental abuse. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's kind of sad and true. <sighs> All right. Um, why don't you pull up Marks and do that one for your second round as I go into my second one, uh, which is uh, the black sheep of a family eventually decides to no longer be a part of it and decides to live with a cowardly spinster instead. Okay. A used car salesman teaches his children how to make a profit, but is forced to leave the country after a run-in with a pot of, with a pair of sailboat salesmen. <laughs> sailboat salesman is what he wrote. Sailboat salesman. <laughs> oh. That's what he wrote. That's... I think he means. Sailboat salesman. But I he think wrote... he means speedboat salesman because that's what they are in the film. <laughs> what he wrote was sailboat salesman, sailboat. but he didn't even write the right sail. He wrote sailboat. Nope. <laughs> he wrote sail like salesman for sailboat. <laughs> oh, I knew gosh. that was. That's so good. Right. <laughs> it's. <laughs> oh, my final one here. Oh. A young girl takes it upon herself to deal with the injustice she sees in the world, starting with chemically adhering foreign materials to her father, and then eventually leading to psychological torture. <laughs> salesman, salesman. <laughs> oh. oh, goodness. All right, let's go on to our reviews. Oh, he's on the page. Salesman, salesman. <laughs> He's on the page right now, I'm pretty sure. He's got to be out of, out of that practice by now. It's almost 6 o'clock. Um, anyway, back to potatoes. Oh, right, yes. Our first scale is our infamous potato scale, uh, which we will tell you the emotional state of this film in terms of our relationships oh, with Louise. potatoes. So, Sarah, why don't you start us off while I look up the scale, as I always do when we do this. I'm gonna give it too many potatoes again. Okay. I'm gonna give it a mashed potato, because this, this book is so... Uh, this book? Well, yes, this book as well. But this movie is so charming. It's so... It just makes me happy watching it. Like, I just feel good and happy, and like, you just smile. And she goes into the little, like, waving her finger around. It's like, doo 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 And you're just happy. It's mashed potatoes. Let's make you warm. It's, 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 um, and then gold potato, like, when, when she first, like, the first one is that, that immediate when she figures it out and she's having Danny DeVito yell at her and she figures out she can slam the door. You're like, oh, yes. And then even the moment, like, in the classroom when she's doing the whole thing and, and Trudgepole runs out and they're throwing all the food at her and when she gets the paper side, like, there's all, so many moments where you're like, yeah, Matilda! So, gold potato. 
And Five Guys for Eyes. I just, this movie, they're, even like the things that you're like, oh, that's kind of an issue. They're just such little nitpicky things that they're not really even issues. They're just at that point, you're just like kind of making up things just to have problems with, just so you're like to have a problem. Yeah, they're little things that I might change. Things that don't quite work for me as an adult, but like they're not major film things. You're, you're, they're not you big even then you feel problems. kind of half-hearted about like, yeah, it's a it doesn't yeah, work, yeah. but I don't feel like it's it's that I would prefer it was implemented differently. I don't But I'm not mad about it. No. Not a no, problem. I, both are fine. I prefer my way over there. Yeah. That's it. So, but it's it's such it's almost it's one of those movies that you look back on and you're like, why can't more kids movies be like this? It doesn't look down on kids, but at the same time, it doesn't it still lets them be kids and enjoy mm-hmm. things in such an innocent and pure way. It's just so good. Like it's really if you talk about the standard of kids films, this is kind of top of the pile for just being understanding their audience and and letting them have speaking to their level but not looking down on them and i just think it's almost an almost perfect movie yeah so uh my review is gonna be right along with that uh i'm just gonna give it a five guys fries i think pretty much everything in the film holds up all the emotional uh states that it tries to get you in are validated by the plot like, I don't ever feel like it's trying to guide me into a certain emotion that it hasn't earned. And I think uh, it's because the emotions in this film are not very heavy-handed. Uh, like, Matilda could get really, really sad all the time living with her family, um, and then we would feel sad for her. The fact that she doesn't, and this is just her normal life, makes me sad for her without seeing her sad on film. Uh, And I love all the side characters in this. I think everyone is doing a fantastic job. There is not a single character that I felt was out of place. Uh, And even, like, the things that they added from the book fit the theme of the book. They don't try to take away from it. They enhance it and augment it by adding these scenes. And so, yeah, just Five Guys Fries. This is a fantastic film that is going to make you feel all the feels really great. Yeah, and it's so, it's so effortless. Like, you have movies that they're, they're trying so hard to portray something or be emotional or artsy or whatever. This just feels like it's like a breath of, breath of fresh air. They just felt like these actors worked together and came together in such an easy way. And I think this is what Matilda really needed. It needed to be very kind of light and airy and kind of this. It's just good, guys. Just go watch it. Uh, That brings us perfectly to our second review scale, which is a rewatchability scale, a scale from zero to ten to tell our audience should they go back and watch this film. Uh, And I'll I'll start us off here. Uh, I think this is a ten. He did. Oh. Um, Oh. Um, yeah. Mark gave it a mashed potatoes and a tater tots, and I don't remember oh, what tater tots Oh, I forgot were. about that. Yeah, that's what you meant. Oh. Mark also said something in the Facebook chat. But yes, uh, I think this is uh, a perfect movie. It is iconic for the time. It has become a staple. Part of the reason it was so hard to write games for it is that this this movie is so well-known, 
and is so what it is, it's hard to compare it to other things. Uh, and f especially for taglines, to find uh, a weird theme in the movie that people don't already know is near impossible because it is a simple story and it's a simple story done perfectly. So yeah, I would say 10 out of 10. Highly recommend going back and watching this film. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm giving it a 10. There's just... Normally, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to take off a little bit. Cause yeah, I'm, you give it a 9.72 yeah, or something. Yeah, I'm always hesitant to give things perfect scores because I'm like, oh, but what if our next thing is something that I like a little bit better? I'm not. It, and it's part of the reason because it is so, it feels so effortless and it just makes me so happy to watch it. It's one of those things yeah. where like, if I'm, it's, it's one of those movies you feel like, if I feel sad or if I'm sick, it's kind of the, those movies you want to put down. It, it's, it's that feeling that, Hallmark movies try to have, and they come out a little bit too like diet cokey. Yeah, they're, like fake they're sugar. way too forced in a Hallmark yeah. film. They want to be fair, really I say, oversell I say this how much is, you should care. I say this is someone who watches a lot of Hallmark movies, but this one is just you. You just feel happy, and if I was sick with the flu and feeling miserable and wanted to like fall off a cliff, I'd be like, oh, this makes me feel better. I like this. Yeah, and so just a ten. There's nothing to to try to augment my score with this one just a straight 10 uh mark gave it a score here uh i think i might have to change it mark gave it a seven mark is uh, wrong which, yes uh i would <laughs> i'm gonna call to action our audience get a hold of mark and change his mind because that's ridiculous seven is too low for this yeah film. this is one where i wish he was here because yeah, we Ooh. could berate him into at least giving it an 8.5. I, I think this is a thing of where Mark's cold heart did not grow three sizes. <laughs> and he stayed Grinch. He stayed the Grinch. I don't know if it's because he does. I was going to say, it's, Mark doesn't like children, but Mark does like children. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Maybe uh, he hates Danny DeVito. Does he hate Danny DeVito? Does he? I mean, maybe, but... I don't know. Maybe he didn't like Trunchbull. Maybe it's because he's short and he feels like it oh. makes fun of him because he's short. Right. Like that's the only life you could ever lead is being a, a terrible car salesman. Well, that is going to close up reviews. Uh, feel free to listen to both Sarah's and our reviews and ignore Mark's reviews because he's not even actually here. He is wrong. Right. And normally, you know, car... Do you know that we always agree on scores when Mark is not here? That is true. This is the second time this happened. Ooh. Yeah, the other time was ants. Yeah, and we really agreed on ants. <laughs> well, maybe this would just be a really non-entertaining podcast if it was just <laughs> us, because we'd be going off the rails the entire oh, time. We would and laugh. Then totally agree. We would laugh about sales boats a lot. Oh, sales boats. Sales salesmen. boats. Sales boat salesmen. <laughs> Anyway, you can oh, find goodness. us at Retrograding Podcast on Facebook, and Mark is just lighting up my Facebook right now. Are there more places they can find us, Sarah? Uh, yeah, but apparently he doesn't hate Danny DeVito. He actually likes Danny DeVito more, so I don't know what his problem is. Get it together, Mark. You can find each other at Retrograding Party Line on Facebook. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm. And you can, we are also on iTunes. You can leave us a like, a review, a share, a, I don't know, a, a carrier pigeon, a, a, no, Ooh. a message in a bottle. 
Oh, I would take both of the last we ones. We will also sure. accept donations of cryptocurrency, especially ones we haven't heard of, because that's I always will fun. Take, I would take donations of kryptonite in case, uh, you know, Superman switches sides. Also donuts. I'll take donuts. Ooh, Krispy Kreme? Yes. I just want to keep it all in, like, that same K sound. Yes. Anyway, uh, our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her on SoundCloud as Dominique A. Barnes. Uh, if you'd like to contact her or know more. Uh, which will bring us to our final segment, uh, which is, Guys, I Learned Something Today. Uh, which is a segment where we try to pull out a lesson that we learned from the film, and I often don't prepare it. Uh, so, Sarah, do you have a lesson, I've, or should we I've ask Mark? I've got a real terrible one that doesn't have anything oh, to perfect. do with anything. It can't be uh, uh, any worse than my normal lessons. Hey, guys, I learned something. Never trust Pee Wee Herman in a suit. He's probably a fed. <gasps> I mean, that's kind of true for Dunstan checks in as well. Uh, anyway, but that is going to close out this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. That's our bloopers music. All right. <clears throat> Let's bring it in. No one ever said I was good at video games. I just like them. Uh, you occasionally say you're good at video games. <laughs> I say it so you, you occasionally no. say it defiantly. I'm good at video yeah, games. Yeah, I say it in that voice, but no one has ever taken me seriously. <laughs> <laughs>